0: everyone, uh, MJ from the Edit Bay here. The a good news, bad news situation. Good news, this is the last of the f- MJ's phone sessions. Uh, this was recorded just before, actually I think the day I got my computer back. So, um, yeah, uh, every episode from here to the end of the film, I think, should be recorded on my nice mic on my nice computer so you won't have to deal with that audio quality anymore. The bad news is that we did lose a chunk of my audio uh and back to good news so it's a good news bad news good news situation uh i didn't recover it but i fixed it.
1: What, 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 Tiger Shark? Oh,
0: what?
1: Tiger Shark. Oh, what? Tiger Shark. Did it
2: kill these people? We think so, but the gray, white,
0: Hi everyone and welcome back to Let's Jaws for a Minute, the podcast which takes a deep dive into Steven Spielberg's 1975 classic film Jaws, minute by minute or thereabouts. I'm your co-host MJ Smith.
2: And I am Sarah Buddery and we are joined by a guest this week, a returning guest, which is always very exciting. Uh, So welcome back to Chandru Ravindran. How are you doing Chandru?
1: I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back on guys. This is great.
2: Of course. Of course. We're very excited. We were, I think we were talking off mic about when you last came on and we worked out it was June, 2021. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that's, <laughs> a, that's a, I think that's right. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's been almost a full year, even though everything's, uh, you guys know the world or time has just lost all meaning. So yeah. I have no <laughs> idea when anything is. So it, I thought it was a lot more recent, but yeah, almost nine months
2: yeah i i'm losing all track honestly like especially when we have returning guests on and i'm like let me try and work out when you last came on and i'm like what has happened in the months that you <laughs> between your between your visits but uh, uh we'll just say a lot uh, about yeah, yeah. covers everything i think um I mean, so what's, we don't even...
0: what's happened in the five days since we've recorded uh well i mean
1: been... <laughs> yeah yeah
2: a lot of uh a lot of craziness uh happening yep. uh to <laughs> to put it lightly i guess um but yeah we don't we don't need to ask you the the jaws question you answered it uh sufficiently last time so oh, we thank can you. get uh <laughs> we can get right on into talking about this week's scene and uh a good job because there is a lot of scene to talk about this week uh it is 2 minutes and 31 seconds so this is one of our longer uh chunks that we're talking about but I didn't have the heart to break it up because it's uh, a really great montage scene and I wanted to talk about it in full. Uh so the yeah. timestamp if you are watching uh, along is from 1 hour 50 minutes and 25 seconds through to 1 hour 52 minutes and 56 seconds. So we kick off uh just as Quint is asking Hooper exactly what the uh, the equipment that he bought on the boat will do. Uh, and Hooper explains that if he can get in the cage then he might be able to get some poison in the shark Uh, and they've exhausted all other possible methods by this point and this is perhaps something else that they can try that they haven't already. Uh, They then get to work putting the cage together uh, and help Hooper into the cage Uh, and then we leave it just as the pretty much as it hits the water or as it sort of transitions to then showing the cage underwater is where we leave it and we'll we'll pick that up next week um but still a lot uh to talk about that was a very quick summary but a lot to discuss <laughs> in this week's scene so uh chandru we'll we'll head over to you first for anything that you uh, picked up on in this week's scene
1: yeah so when i actually asked for the scene i thought that i was only going to get like the part where they're talking on the boat so when you sent me the time stamp i was like Oh my god, this is like 3 times the amount. This is amazing. <laughs> so, there's so much here, but I'll just start with at the beginning, but the scene like the parts where the three of them are just standing on the boat. I think I'm struck by how like how different all their reactions are. Like essentially Hooper looks Hooper looks um like he cannot believe that this is how things have have gone. Like he looks like finally, you know, like that child like sort of like childlike joy that he has like chasing after these uh you know sharks you know these animals that he loves is gone and he's like staring he basically looks like he's staring death in the face when you know the camera is like focused on his face and he looks complete his eyes look glazed over and like quint has like I, i just think it's so funny how different quints uh behavior is he's got like a smirk on his face at the beginning of the scene it might be before, like, right before the timestamp, but he starts off with a smirk, and it's sort of, like, almost looks like he's thinking, like, well, this is exactly how it should be ending, like, sort of, like, uh, the chipper version of how Hooper is, like, thinking about it, Mm -hmm. and uh, I think it just, like, speaks to, like, Quint's still got his pride. He's not going to admit that he's sort of gotten them into this predicament, and uh, I just, I really like how uh, he transitions from being sort of like almost like glib with his facial reactions, like that, that smirk into being super serious when he starts asking Hooper about what he can do. And then Brody, Brody's in the background, and I feel like Brody's basically the audience stand-in with uh, how he's he's like staring. He's not staring like at nothing like Hooper is, but he, sat, he looks completely defeated. Like, um, But his reaction is different from Hooper's. It's almost like, oh, I knew this was going to happen. And he's just sitting there. He's just sitting there. And then when Quinn starts asking about like the equipment, Brody, like sort of looks at him like, really, this is what we're going to do. And then he finally blows up. And I think I just love, I mean, this is why I wanted to talk about the scene. And thankfully you guys gave me even three times more than just this, but uh, (laughs) like, I love how different the three, the three men, like main characters reactions are in this scene.
0: I was really reminded watching this scene of like, um, and this is probably the best example uh, or a comparison point I can come up with, but it's, I mean, it's a thing. There's like the, 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 I think we've talked about it in specifically in regards to Hooper and um, Quint before, but there's the like Lost did this a lot, which was like the man of science versus the man of faith. And they kind of put mm-hmm. it like, like Jack and John Locke against each other in that, in that mm-hmm. manner. Um, and this is very similar to that. I feel like um, it's very much like uh, two ideologies, not at war with each other, but like almost coming to an understanding. Like Quint has exhausted every option he has, it seems like, and now he's left with this option of okay, let's see what you know. The the fancy toys can
1: do. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah. There's there's some resignation, I think, in in Quint's tone and in his face as well. He's not he's not reluctant to sort of hand over the reins to Hooper, but you can tell this is a really big deal for him. This is this is his boat. You know, he was so confident, so cocky in the beginning that that they were gonna get this shark and not even that long ago as well he was you know yelling like we've got a taxidermy man he's gonna <laughs> have a heart attack like when you know he was even at that point still like fairly confident and you know he can't stay down with three barrels and all the rest of it that, that we've had super recently and it's now where like he you know he comes he comes out we spoke about this last week obviously you know he grabs the life jackets for the other two he's put on his jacket and his cap you know his his yeah. quint fisherman outfit like he's ready to go down with the ship yep. like he is you know this is this is it sort of thing this is this is how it all ends and it's then i think that you know clearly the the hoopers like uh dart thing i think is on the back of the boat and he sort of he sits down and he looks at it and it's in that moment that he sort of goes okay well like maybe this is going to work maybe we can try this thing but this is a very very big deal for Quint, and a bigger deal than i think i've realized before because he was the one who actually i I went back and watched the scene when they're loading up the orca and he's openly mocking uh hooper and and his pals for all the (laughs) the equipment he's you know what are you some half-assed astronaut and is sort of laughing in his face really all of uh, all of this so it's like this is the last resort for Quint you know the final thing they're gonna try is okay what did Hooper bring on board that might actually be able to work and and can we you know can we do this um there's something as well that we'll get to later involving the the oxygen tank but yeah this this feels like a very a very different Quint uh, quite solemn I guess as well and just this resignation of, like, this is it. This is our last shot now. Like, I have tried everything. Now, let me kind of, in a way, hand over some of that power or that, uh, the reins over to, to Hooper.
1: And I think you nailed it with the resignation. And, like, cause as soon as he looks over and asks, you know, he's like, okay, I see the equipment. His, that's when his face changes into, like, he gets, it looks, it's like his face gets serious. And the way he asks the question, like, he says, like, what exactly can you do with these things? And then he's like, can you get this needle through his skin? And, like, the what, what I got from it was, like, th- this is a big deal for Quint." but it's also, like, it's it reminded me of, like, the curiosity that, like, you know, a student almost has when they're, like, asking questions of, like, a professor, but they don't fully understand what the professor is saying. So they're just sort mm-hmm. of, like, like, I feel like Quint has dropped the pretense of, like, like of like, you know, his arrogance and his like blustery confidence that he's had. And now he's just like essentially like saying, well, I think it's, it's his way of saying I screwed up and like I'm willing to suck it up and like let's try to get out of this. And in a way, I feel like this is his his best moment as a leader in the entire movie because he shakes mm-hmm. Hooper out of his stupor. Like Hooper's like Hooper looks basically like I'm done. I'm out. This is it. Mm -hmm, And like, mm -hmm. and Quint is the one who gets like, as soon as Quint asks him about it, it's like Hooper seems a little bit energized. And, and then like Brody's still like, you know, hesitant. And then it's like, you know, they have their little blow up there. And then it's like Hooper gets Brody out of his stupor. But I think without Quint stepping in and saying something, I think all three of them probably would have died because then they would have ended up doing nothing. So I think like, you know, we all know what's going to happen to Quint, but I think he by at least engaging in the you know engaging with Hooper about the things like Hooper can do to try to deal with the shark i think he indirectly saves the lives of uh Brody and and Hooper at the end of the movie
2: yeah it's the a different kind of leadership that we've seen from Quint and shows that leadership isn't always just like we do things my way which is why it feels like such a big moment of growth for Quint as a character because it's he's still taking the lead like you said he is snapping Hooper out of his his funk that he's in and, and sort of suggesting something else but it's also it's not like, let's do the things that you tried and tested, things that we've done hundreds of times. It's like, let's try let's try something different, which is, you know, a leader shouldn't be a dictator. It shouldn't always be like their way and no one else's. It's, it's he's willing to sort of learn from Hooper in this moment, which I think is super interesting.
0: This is the group dynamics we talked about earlier, right? Like, or, mm-hmm. or loads of, of, of episodes. It's like... Um... <laughs> this is this is kind of the ultimate test of performing and whether or not they can actually make this happen mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: yeah and we see it like in the way they work together and put the put the cage together as well mm-hmm. and i will just say that is one of my favorite transitions in the whole oh, yeah. film when hooper is like you know, they're they're talking about the logistics of you know going in the cage, and and Brody gets mad, or you know he's says like the you know the shark's gonna rip that cage to pieces. I think he's worried about Hooper going into the water, and Hooper says you got any better suggestions, and then it goes back to Brody, and you think it's gonna be Brody saying something in response, and then like the bit of the cage sort of lifts up in front of him. It's just so, it's so seamless. Oh, yeah. I was just like. I had to pause it and just take a moment to appreciate it when I was watching it earlier. Cause I was like, that's such a, good, that's such a good transition. Yeah. <laughs> I love it.
1: <laughs> I That's the same, same thought I had. Cause I've seen this movie hundreds of times and like, mm. and that scene, you know, it just flies by me every time it happens. I don't really pay attention to it, but like watching it, like again, I'm like in a lesser filmmaker's hands, there would have been a reaction shot of Brody being like, of like, we see Brody being like, okay, Hooper's right. So let's, all right let's accept that we have to do this but instead of that it's almost it's like almost literally one second between hooper yelling you got any you got any better suggestions to the shot of the cage coming into the frame it's like and that communicates it all like it's Mm -hmm. so elegant and seamless i think is what you said also it's it's an incredible cut and i just i love it
0: we were kind of talking off mic about this being a montage and uh it made me feel kind of kind of big dumb when you guys brought that up because i was like i've never considered this a montage but it definitely it's like it just <laughs> it's like that sneaky spielberg stuff where he just surprises you he just slides this in and is like hey this is this is a thing now and uh yeah never never thought about it as a montage even though it a hundred percent is yeah. and um it just sneaks up on you and is is you know it's not flashy it's not in your face it's not you know, it's not like the Team America joke where it's like, this is the montage song or whatever. It's yeah. it's literally like, this is this is what happens yeah. next. Gonna, you know, figure this out.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That'd be amazing if they started playing Eye of the Tiger while uh, they're starting <laughs> to put together the cage.
2: <laughs> literally what I was just thinking. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to mute the sound on this uh, immediately after this and just play Eye of the Tiger and see if it works. <laughs> I have a feeling it would work very well uh, <laughs> this is like this is one of my favorite kind of montages because i i really like let me try and explain this like something that is quite procedural like you see all the stages of, yeah. of everything coming together and it's it's cut a lot quicker so it you know it cuts out some of the the things that they're doing but one of my not to bring up sorcerer again but i'm gonna bring up Sorcerer again. Um, one of my favorite bits in sorcerer is when they are it's when the tree is is down and they're trying to blow it up um and it's uh quite a long and almost silent sequence as they're like rigging up this this bag and this like thing that is gonna you know they're gonna put they split a hole in the bag or something and then sand is gonna come out and that's gonna change the weight and then that's gonna ignite the dynamite to blow up this tree that's that's in their way that's a really bad way of explaining it but hopefully if you've seen sorcerer that makes sense and i love that scene because i just find it so engrossing it's just like yeah show me all of these like little stages that they're having to do and this really intricate process to to set this thing up that is going to end in this great big explosion and you kind of get that a little bit in this as well it's because you know That the result of doing all this you know the the screwing the the cage together and uh hooper like putting you know filling the syringe and then putting it in the shark dart and then strapping his his oxygen tank on like you know all of this like the result of that is him going into that cage to sort of go face to face with the shark so seeing all of those steps leading up to that i just i just absolutely love i just think (laughs) that this is such a a great moment and i i like that it i like that it takes the time for it as well because it could have very easily just gone you know yeah i need to get in the cage and then there's a cut and then you know the next thing he's got his wetsuit on and he's he's getting in the cage and he's ready to go but it gives us a great piece of music it gives us oh yeah so many like great little uh Hints as well as what's to come. The great things with the oxygen tank that are important, and it's just a it's just a really great moment. (laughs) That
1: that music ruined my night last night because I was planning on just watching the scene, and then i I was like, I've heard this music so many times. I was like, This is the best part of the score ever. And I'm like, I need to hear every (laughs) every time the score happens in the movie. So I went back through like the entire like last hour of the movie trying to find that music throughout and like every. Situation, Cause I'm like, this is the most, I think it's the most powerful version of that. Cause mm-hmm. it's, I don't know that the music in the scene communicates so much. Like just like it transitions from like, it's like when the, when the cage comes into Brody's face, like when it enters into frame, like what we're talking about the transition, it almost starts off like sheepishly, like with this like interesting note where it's almost like the characters are like, well, I guess we should try this. And then it get like it picks up steam and starts to sound more and more determined, and like when we get like the shot of Hooper starting to put the uh, you know the poison in and like the overhead shot with the with uh, Sarah's favorite image of Brody being shirtless, but like the music swells to like this heroic, heroic mm-hmm. like uh, almost like heroic level, and it's like all right, all right, they're really they're really doing this, and then after, as the montage ends, it like gets more and more somber until the very end where it's almost laced with like tragedy as Hooper is like getting into the like in the cage and scared out of his mind but I think I was amazed by how well the music just like told the entire story of the scene Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah it's a it's a great piece of music that like pairs so perfectly with the the montage and it's it's it also pairs perfectly with the tone. So like the last couple of weeks we've talked about, have been very somber and this is almost like the last rallying cry of mm-hmm. group of yeah. like, Hey, we're not, you know, we're going to, we're going to fight uh, even though it seems as desperate as desperate can get. We're going to fight this. Yeah. Um, we're not going to go out, you know, we're going to go out swinging if any of us have to go out, which we don't <laughs> want, but you know, could happen.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm yeah and it's i mean it's not eye of the tiger but it is quite there's something about it that just like it it encapsulates so many moods but it does make me feel quite pumped up when they're yeah. <laughs> especially when they're like putting you know putting the cage together and there's this really so starting from that great transition that we really like where the sort of cage comes in front of of brodie we then get a shot of i think Hooper and then Quint, and we see each of them individually sort of shot like through the cage um and then I think it's the the floor goes down or something and then there's this great shot and I wrote the yeah. timestamp because I was like this is so good um 1 hour 51:05 where like it's a low angle and you see all three of them like
0: in incredible shot. on
2: around the cage i think brody is inside the cage quince on the outside like fully like leaning his head through hooper's on top and i'm like this cage is really is quite small like yeah. <laughs> you know hooper can is one guy and he i don't think you could fit a second person in there comfortably with all the equipment and everything but yet this great shot has got all three of them in there and it's it's that showing you know uh each of them individually so you know they are three individual people with different skill sets different backgrounds different reasons for being on this boat and then that great great shot of all three of them like working on the cage simultaneously it's like they are working together as one unit they are all wanting to working towards the same thing and there's just there's great sound uh sound design in this um bit as well i watched it so i watched it once downstairs because i like to watch it (laughs) i was peek behind the curtain at my insane methods of watching (laughs) jaws so i always watch it downstairs on my big telly once uh because then i feel like you get the full sort of hd experience and uh soundbar and you know being able to see everything and then literally just before we start recording i watch it again on my laptop with my headphones on where i sort of pick up on the sound and everything else that i might have missed whilst i was watching it on the big tv um and it was in then that i sort of you know heard you really get the sound of those wrenches turning when they're putting together that cage there's a really very very satisfying noise as hooper puts that kind of cap on the top of the shark dart thing yeah. mm-hmm. um wouldn't be able to explain it but it's just <laughs> it's just a really great noise um <laughs> And I like that you can still hear those things and pick out those things in the mix as well as this incredible score. Like, there's so much happening in this scene, but it just all ties together so so well. I think it's perfectly edited. I think it's perfectly yeah. paced. And the score just... That swell, like, as they're sort of putting the, yeah. the cage over the side. And I don't... Th- it's... You get similar... Um, bits of this score throughout the film but that particular bit where it sort of i think mj described it um as sort of sounding quite heroic it's i don't think you hear specifically that bit at any other point um in the film because i it always stands out to me when i hear that bit where i'm like oh yeah i really love specifically that bit and i think if i loved it that much i'd hear it at other points in the film but
1: the only time i remember i think it might like at the very end when Brody's facing up with the shark, but it's like mm. drowned. It's like, I think in that scene it's drowned out by the, cause it's like intermixed with the, the tr- classic shark theme. So it's like hard to like, it's hard to like, it's hard to actually hear it here. It's like, it's like out in the opening, just like, it's like blasting and it's so powerful. Like I'm getting chills, like just thinking about mm-hmm. when that music swells. But um, I think, I, I can't remember which one of you said it, but like, the fact that it's the three of them working on this, and I think the movie needed to have like this one final moment of the three of them working together.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Cause I mean <laughs> I mean maybe maybe like someone watching this fresh doesn't know that like not all of them are gonna come out of it, but I still think it's it wouldn't be as satisfying if you don't get this, because if you don't get them all working together in this scene, then your last impression of the them as a group is essentially Brody throwing a life jacket at Hooper and Hooper and like Quint essentially torpedoing any chance of their survival basically mm. <laughs> by like blowing out their, the, the, the Orca's engine. So I think it was, it's def like, I think it's such a necessary thing to have this. And which is why I love this montage and MJ, I think you said like, it's not flashy. It's like sneakily flashy. It like yep. that shot, the shot of the three of them together. It's like, like, Again, I've have watched this movie since I was 3 years old and I've never paid like I know that shot, I but I've never paid attention to it. I've always like my chi- like my childhood memory of it is it's a confusing shot, not that I don't know what's going on, but more like I have no idea where any of the characters are. So I finally paid attention to that like this week and I'm like this is a brilliant brilliant shot to like fit all of them in this in the into that frame just to show them all working together. It's it's so captures like the essence of like I guess what the the end of this movie has like been building towards like these three characters working together to, you know, to defeat the, defeat the shark. So I think it's a brilliant montage.
0: Yeah. Um, I had, I don't remember the point I was going to make. Um, I will say the sound design is incredible in this Mm scene. Um, skipping around a little bit, at the end of the montage, when we get, you know, the fully assembled cage and, uh, the, it, just the shot of it going in the water. Mm. It's so loud. That (laughs) went so loud. And it's like, it's very cool and industrial sounding, but it's also very like ominous. Like it's signaling like, this is it hooper mm-hmm. i mean yeah. um, not not that it's necessarily signaling it's his that he's going to die or anything like that but it is just like this is a very perilous situation that could have one of several outcomes and not a lot of them are great yeah
2: mm. i mean at, at this point like if you're if you're watching this film for the first time you're kind of thinking like hooper is is not gonna come out of this situation because it's like none of them yet have gone into the shark's house aka the water and Hooper did earlier in the film when they went to investigate Ben Gardner's boat but the not that the threat wasn't as real then but it's very clear that this shark is in close proximity to, to this boat and has been for much of the sort of back half of the film yeah and most other people who you know characters in the film we've seen in the water uh, it, where the shark has been close they've not they've not made it out and obviously the twist uh in in the tale is that the the shark sort of you know in a way gets onto the boat and and quint is the one who mm-hmm. doesn't survive but we do i mean there's a, a fair chunk of this film where you kind of I say a fair chunk it'll probably end up being one minute um where we where we believe hooper to be to be dead like we see him we see him get away but it's like we don't know that he's that he's definitely gonna survive that and it's again like this i've got it just paused on that shot of all three of them in the shark cage because i love it so much and (laughs) also even though so i'm looking at it again now brody is in like physically stood inside the cage um and quint is leaning in but hooper on top his leg is like sticking in the cage as well so all three of them in one in some roundabout way are all inside this cage and i think that it's i mean i i could just spend an hour podcast talking about this one shot which i think is is kind of what we're doing here but i i did i forgot to say this earlier actually but um Quint has changed uh out of his out of his cap into his uh bandana Mm -hmm. and as we've spoken about previously on the podcast when when Quint has got the the bandana on he's kind of in like let's go to war mode uh it's usually when he's sort of really about to to try and take on the shark or something like that and it's interesting that he you know we spoke a lot, I think, in last week's episode, you know, the cap and the jacket are on and that's it. He's he's ready to go down with the ship, and it's like now there is that renewed hope, you know, renewed sense of enthusiasm in the in the group, and you get that both in the in the music and I can't remember the description of, of the music, but it was really good. Uh <laughs> when it sort <laughs> of the, the subtitles was... told me. What's
0: that? Mine said it was adventurous music.
1: That's adventurous. Ooh. I would have thought badass, like chill-inducing music.
2: <laughs> okay, I've just. Uh... Okay, I've. <laughs> I had to go back about five seconds to find it. Uh, on my subtitles on Netflix, it says resolute music.
1: I like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is pretty it good. Is, it is resolute, <laughs> if anything.
2: Yeah, and it, that comes up like as they're kind of putting the putting the cage together. So, yeah, I love. Oh, yeah. What a great, <laughs> what a great so... scene. <laughs>
1: So just to uh I got to mention like I love that the shark just also probably appreciates this montage because it's been attacking the boat non-stop prior to this and then it attacks the boat non-stop after this. It probably was coming back and then it sees them all working together and it hears that amazing John Williams score. It's like, "Oh shit, I should watch this. This is like this is incredible. It's like sitting there, just like I don't know, eating popcorn or whatever, or just like chilling. Like, yeah, yeah. Oh man, what great direction! I don't. I just. <laughs> more seriously, I do. I do think it's like very. I think it's this se- entire sequence is like, just like incredible how, well, it's executed, but also how it's such a natural lull in the action. Just like mm-hmm. we know the shark's not coming, but it's it doesn't feel like, artificial. Like you know, there's certain movies where you can feel like when the director is like saying okay this is a safe moment but this just feels like natural and i just mm-hmm. as i was thinking that i was like oh i wonder what the shark actually is doing
0: so <laughs> it's waiting it's just uh it's toying with them is what's yeah. happening mm-hmm. it like it <laughs> knows it's and it's like all right i'll let them have this it's it's like psychological yeah. warfare that they don't even know is happening to them yeah well i mean Mm -hmm. you think
1: like when the three before the montage starts the three of them are sitting in the boat quint is in the exact spot where the shark jumps on the boat to kill him later so had that happened there it might it would have been quite a shock so and the shark would have saved some time there too and i (laughs) don't know it would have uh, yeah bruce Mm -hmm. bruce has got to figure out how to be more efficient but i do think the montage the shot of the three of them might have been better had the shark been like overseeing everything from above so uh that is just one <laughs> one personal complaint i have for steven spielberg so i'll make sure mm-hmm. i get that in his inbox
0: yeah yeah well, i'm sure he uh, he'll appreciate the yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> a theory i mean it it doesn't track at all but because it's shot from that that sort of like really severe low angle you could argue that it's kind of like like it's shot from like the shark's perspective
1: (laughs) (laughs) they're like they're like where we need a surface to put this on what do we put this on oh look the shark is just there uh, that that should be a nice dirty surface
2: Yeah, in uh, in uh, Sarah's insane headcanon, um there is a a parallel training montage happening with the shark, yes. uh where he's got like a sweatband on his head. He's <laughs> kind of like he's uh he's getting ready. He's getting ready to to go and attack Hooper and eventually eat Quint. So that is the <laughs> alternative cut of jaws I would like to see is the shark, maybe with some headphones on as well or maybe he's getting pumped up by the Don Williams score as well oh. cuz that's how scores work, right?
1: <laughs> well, you know, the, you know, Quint had his big Indianapolis speech where he talked about his trauma. I bet... So the shark's been injured multiple times by these three guys. And, the, you know, Brody shot him a couple times with his revolver. And Quint already shot him with his harpoon. I bet the shark went back and is, like, hanging out with, I don't know, his, like, hammerhead friend and his tiger shark friend. And he's, like, telling them about, like, his trauma that he had with these three guys who kept attacking him. So... He's got his training montage going on down there where I don't know, he built I don't think he's building a shark cage, but he's definitely doing something. So I think that fits the whole parallel uh, universe that you've got there. Got yeah. that
0: you got there, yeah. Sarah. <laughs> definitely. He's like drinking raw caviar.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and you can tell between shots that the that the shark is like plastered in one scene and then sober in the other scene. So uh, <laughs>
2: Oh, he's just doing some bench pressing. He's yeah. just getting, you know, he's he's getting ready.
1: <laughs> hey, he's got he's to be bulked up for this. I mean, this is a big time battle he's got coming up.
2: Got to yeah. train yeah. For that. <laughs> now, I would put Eye of the Tiger to that uh, yes. shark training montage because that would... Eye of the Tiger shark. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Eye of the Tiger shark.
1: Uh, Eye of the Tiger shark. Oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> MJ, MJ, I...
2: <laughs> I would respectfully ask that either Kristen or Harley uh writes a <laughs> Eye of the Tiger themed <laughs> parody song <laughs> called Eye of the Tiger Shark. Thank you. The...
0: Um <laughs> I'm sure Harley will be thrilled to hear this.
2: Yeah, I can hear him saying no <laughs> in the distance. <laughs> yeah um okay i have one
1: (laughs) one more one more joke about the three of them working together though all right this would this would never work if i was one of them because i don't know about you guys but i'm that kind of guy who i have to work in solitude and like Mm. working together with someone i'm like uh this then i'm like immediately slowing down and looking over my shoulder at like are they doing better than me like i'm impressed that they're able to pull this pull this thing together like the way they do like none of them mm-hmm. seem to have any sort of performance anxiety in front of each other, which I think is impressive in like a time of stress like this.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. I definitely uh, like, like to work on my own on stuff. So I yeah. absolutely understand that. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. Yeah. Hard degree. <laughs> um i uh, (laughs) we've kind of uh we've mentioned it briefly already plus i probably mentioned it in many other previous episodes um but (laughs) in this scene we get the gratuitous uh shirtless roy scheider scene as i've written in all caps in my notes uh and the continuity is absolutely (laughs) is i mean (laughs) It makes no sense because the shirt is off and then immediately is back on, but I have never cared
1: less. (laughs) I I think that works even better because it basically says that Brody took his shirt off for like a minute or half a minute and then (laughs) put it back on for no reason at all, which is, I think, incredible. (laughs) It is kind of the power move. Like, it makes me want a version of Jaws where... Like, randomly thrown throughout the movie in completely inappropriate scenes is Brody without his shirt. Like, the scene... Like, basically the scene to start off the montage where he, th- he says that shark would rip that cage of pieces and Hooper yells, you got any better suggestions? It should cut back to Brody and suddenly has his shirt off. And I yeah. think that would work beautifully. Sort of better Brody McConaughey.
0: Mm-hmm. hmm
2: Yeah, I mean... Th- <laughs> Because he's got the he's got like the belt on like over the shirt as well, so it's not <laughs> even like an easy kind of qu- and it's an over the head as well. It's like yeah. a turtleneck, like it's not you know you're not ripping the buttons off of that. <laughs> That's it <laughs> and then like the, just immediately you have it as he sort of it's when he's like because he, he's behind the the cage, isn't he? Or he's like at the back and he's like pushing it up, sort of thing. So it's I I would like to believe that it was in his contract somewhere where he's like, look, I just I've just gotta I've gotta get the guns in there at some point. Steve. I, uh...
1: <laughs> I wonder if it actually was. Like, is that a thing? Because that that would make sense for why it's so messed up in the continuity. Like, it's yeah. and it's such a far it's like a far shot from above, so you can't really you can't really see it that well. So that that and he was like a I think Roy Scheider was a boxer, so I wouldn't be mm-hmm. surprised if. Uh, if his vanity got to him in that moment.
2: <laughs> Look, I'm very happy about it. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot what I was going to say. I'm uh, <laughs> just distracted thinking about this uh, thinking about this scene now. Uh, have, have my guys, favorite scene. <laughs> no notes.
1: <laughs> have you guys ever seen that clip from NCIS where uh, they're hacking on the same keyboard and it's a complete joke? This yeah. is the exact... This, yeah, this is like... The, them, the three of them working together on this is, like, the good version of that. Like, can you imagine if they were, like, screwing up every... Like, this montage is, like, all about success, but it's, if it ended with the cage, like, completely being unusable because the three of them couldn't get on the same page, I think that's the most likely outcome of how this actually would have gone down. But that, I mean, that clip in NCIS, if, if you haven't seen it, Sarah, it's awful. Absolutely awful.
0: Yeah, it's, uh... It is the, that, that clip that you're talking about is um, the, the the epitome of like movie hacking. Yep. Uh, let me see. <laughs> NCIS hacking scene. First thing that comes up when you type in NCIS on YouTube. <laughs> Please enjoy this Clip. From every American grandmother's favorite television show. (laughs) Yes. That's the the perfect description
2: also. (laughs) Okay. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That is I mean, that is basically this scene, isn't it?
1: (laughs) Well, this is like what I'm I'm actually being partly serious. Like this could this scene could have gone this scene could have been much worse than it actually is, because it could have tried to highlight how their expertise at this, but it just, it doesn't, it just shows them working together and moves on. Like it doesn't need mm-hmm. to show us like, Oh, these are manly men who know how to put together a cage or anything stupid like that. It's like, it's, it doesn't go, it doesn't like cater to the com- like lowest common denominator. Basically. It just, it has this flashy moment. It shows them all working together and then it moves on. It doesn't do, try to do mm-hmm. too much, which is what I really appreciate
0: about it. Mm. Yeah, well, and we also get, uh, I mean, some he- extremely heavy-handed foreshadowing uh, in oh, this yeah. Movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, it, it, it's funny, because I've never noticed it until watching it for the show, because uh, just watching it in, you know, in a vacuum like this. But, man, it is so on the nose. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. <clears throat> I think it was last week, Sarah, that, or the last episode that we talked about how... Uh, jaws is kind of a, a subtle film and uh except when it's not <laughs> it, is, it is no in your face like it the, it lovingly lingers on that remaining uh oxygen tank it does but mj you said you didn't even notice
1: it until this time which is like it's really obvious once you know it's gonna come but like i think it's actually subtle enough because like, someone who's never seen it probably isn't... Good. Like, they'll notice it, but they just won't... I don't know if they'll put it, uh, you know, be like, oh, that's going to be important for later, yeah. you know? I think mm. it is... Uh, every time I watch it, I am distracted by how long the camera <laughs> lingers on <laughs> it, though. It's like, oh, is this, like, the fourth character of this crew? Like, yeah. the, mm-hmm. the air tag? Like, what's he doing?
2: It's It's funny because I... i I, obviously like bro i mean i was i was distracted because his shirt was off and then it was on again but like when he brody goes back in uh because he's you see him through the window and he's like trying to hold up like the the top of the cage or something and then he comes he comes back in to get something else and you see the you see the remaining oxygen tank there and it's like even just the way that it because it holds that it holds that shot. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of showing like Brody's hands, like picking up whatever else it is, and then it it stays there. <laughs> it stays there as well. I think that it's still it is it's more on the nose than I think any of the yeah. other foreshadowing that, that we've seen. But I think that as a first time watcher of, of this film, that ending it, I think is still so surprising in terms of of how they end up sort of defeating the shark I I think from the moment Brody kind of like throws it in the shark's mouth you're like okay right we know how this is going to go down now but Mm -hmm. I think as a I I can't go back to like past Sarah when I was a first when I watched it for the first time but I remember being surprised about how it ended so I think that we pick up on that foreshadowing and stuff now obviously particularly now because I mean we're looking at it in this way but I think that you would notice it I mean, <laughs> maybe you're the exception to this MJ, but like, I feel like if you watched yours for the first time, you wouldn't bat an eyelid. You watch it for the second time, and you're like, oh, oxygen tank, and you sort of notice it <laughs> then. Whereas some of the other foreshadowing in the film, I think, is much, much more subtle that you're sort of picking up on, you know, the 30th or 100th watch or something. Uh, well, hmm. Sarah,
1: you said you went going back to past Sarah, you wouldn't be able to, like, you don't know how you would have felt. But, like, that's the thing about watching these movies when you're, like, three like, you don't actually understand what you're seeing. Like, so right. <laughs> I, I always knew he threw an, an oxygen t- or whatever, an oxygen tank in its mouth. But I had no clue for the longest time that that's what caused it to blow up. I just thought he shot the shark and it blew up. That's, <laughs> that's the ending that I thought. I was like, okay, so that's what happened. Cool. And it was only like years later, I'm like, oh, he shot the oxygen tank. So,
0: <laughs> I think I've talked about on the show before that, I didn't realize Jurassic Park was scary until I was 16.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I I was saying like we did an episode on Jurassic Park on my podcast and I was telling my friends like I wish I could go back and watch Jurassic Park and jaws again fresh cuz these movies that should have been scary for me just weren't cuz I watched them when I was so young and you mm-hmm. don't, I don't I don't know if you appreciate the tension that's in those movies like when I watched Jurassic Park I remember I sat at a friend's house and I was that stupid kid who asked my friend's parents, can we fast forward through this and go to the T-Rex scenes? God, I want to beat that kid up right now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, mine was that, you know, I played with so many dinosaur figures that when people started to get eaten, I was like, yeah. Yeah. I do that. T-Rex (laughs) is eating people. I don't know how they expected anything else to happen here. And then I saw it as an adult and was like, "Oh, this seems really scary in the kitchen." Or, yeah, that's a T-Rex mm, or whatever.
1: That's why I'm I'm trying to balance out when I show Jurassic Park and Jaws to my daughter. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. or fortunately, she's her favorite thing in the world is dinosaurs. Like she runs around going Ugh, uh, to everything and crying out <laughs> like a dinosaur. So I have shown her. I've already shown her the end of Jurassic Park when the T-Rex shows up because she just thinks that's so beautiful, such an amazing scene. So. Yeah. But I don't know when I should show her the suspenseful scenes. I'll probably I'll probably wait a week or two. Yeah. <laughs> how How old is she? She's nineteen months. Oh wow. Oh, okay. Yeah. Ho- hopefully, this is not a condemnation on my parent and my father, my father par- parenting ability. But if it is, I fully accept accept my flaws. <laughs>
0: <laughs> i <I'm> ain't the problem.
1: <laughs> hey, my parents showed me Jaws when I was three, and that has quint being brutally bitten in half so
0: yeah that's true
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i didn't see jules until i was until i was much older but i i can't remember how old i was when i saw jurassic park but i maybe i was at that just right age where when i watched it i was scared by it i think i've mentioned this on the pod before but like specifically the scene where the guy is like eaten on the toilet and now I watch that scene and laugh, so because that guy is just a bit of a dweeb. So now when he gets killed, I'm like, Heh, he got bit in half. But like when I was a kid, I was just like, oh no, I go to the toilet, and that guy has just been eaten on the toilet. So that weirdly just felt like a very like relatably scary thing well, to me. <laughs>
1: since since we're talking about our memories of watching these movies at the first time, I was I was probably like eight, but I actually thought he. I stupidly thought he had his shorts down because he was wearing short shorts so you see his legs. Mm. I thought he was actually using the bathroom because my older brother liked to uh, lie to me a lot and he told me that's what was happening. So I was like, wait, wasn't he scared of the T-Rex? Why did he run in there and like take his pants off to like go to the bathroom? I guess that's just how these things work. It's, I mean, Spielberg has this, you know, has this tendency. He has gratuitous Roy Scheider shirtless scenes and his gratuitous lawyer pantless scenes in Jurassic Park. (laughs)
2: I know which one I prefer. Uh. <laughs> uh,
0: so, my my contribution to the uh, the lawyer getting getting eaten discourse that's happening right now is uh, in the in the newest Jurassic Park pinball machine. When you score when you when you get an extra ball, it it's that scene. But when the T Rex knocks down the the, the toilet part. There's just a pinball sitting on the toilet, and it's very funny every
2: time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> back to the—I mean, we've spoken about the the very uh, maybe slightly obvious foreshadowing of Brody and the the oxygen tank, but before then, we have Quint. Uh, picking up the oxygen tank to to give to Hooper, and I wanted to talk about this moment because this is a really another really great kind of full circle moment, and the fact that Quint is the one that hands that over to Hooper and basically you know helps him helps him put it on helps him you know strap him into it because when and again I I, I went back to that scene where they're loading up the the Orca and Hooper he's carrying the oxygen tank. And he goes to hand it to Quint, who is already on the boat. You know, sort of take this so I can climb on board, sort of thing. Uh, and Quint doesn't take it, but that's when he sort of mocks uh, mocks Hooper a little bit and and sort of laughs at him and laughs at the the cage and and the equipment and everything else that that he's got. And I just thought that it's it's then quite a nice touch. Um, that Quint is then the one to sort of like hand it over to Hooper I just think it's a really it's a really nice moment
0: chapter one loomings call me Ishmael some years ago never mind how long precisely having little or no money in my purse and nothing particular to interest me on shore I thought I would sail about a little and see the watery part of the world it is a way I have of driving off the spleen and regulating the circulation Whenever I find myself growing grim about the mouth, whenever it is a damp, drizzly November in my soul, whenever I find myself involuntarily pausing before coffin warehouses and bringing up the rear of every funeral I meet, and especially whenever my hypos get such an upper hand of me that it requires a strong moral principle to prevent me from deliberately stepping into the street and methodically knocking people's hats off, then I account it high time to get to sea as soon as I can. Mm -hmm. This is my substitute for pistol and ball. With a philosophical flourish, Katosh throws himself upon his sword. I quietly take up to the ship. There is nothing surprising in this. If they but knew it, almost all men, in their degree, some time or another, cherish very nearly the same feelings towards the ocean with me. There now is your insular city of the Manitose, belted round by <laughs> wharves as Indian Isles by coral reefs, commerce surrounds it with her surf. Right and left, the streets take you waterward. It's extreme downtown is the Battery, where that noble mole is washed by waves and cooled by breezes, which a few hours previous were out of sight of land. Look at the crowds of water-gazers there. Circumambulate the city of a dreamy Sabbath afternoon. Go from Corlears Hook to Coentite Slip, and from thence, by Whitehall, northward, (laughs) what do you see? Posted like silent sentinels all around the town, stand thousands upon thousands of mortal men fixed in ocean reveries, some leaning against the spiles, some seated upon the pier heads, some looking over the bulwarks of ships from China. Some high aloft in the rigging, as if striving to get a still better seaward peep. But these are all landsmen, of weekdays spent up in lath and plaster, tied to counters, nailed to benches, clinched to desks. How then is this? Are the green fields gone? What do they hear? But look! Here come more crowds pacing straight for the water and seemingly bound for a dive. Strange, nothing will content them but the extremist limit of the land, loyering under the shady lee of yonder warehouses will not suffice. No. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sort of touching on uh,
1: just like the, you know, like the personal aspect. Like, I think a movie like this you need those personal moments. Like, so that scene where, where uh, Quint gives Hooper the, the tank, that's one moment. And then there's, I also like as Hooper's getting into the cage, Quint sort Mm -hmm. of grabs his arm and helps him in. And, and then Brody taps him on the head to like get his glasses. And like, you know, I've noticed those also in the past, but it's also like, these are like, it's because neither character is saying anything to Hooper and Hooper's the only one talking in the, in, in that final scene. It's like, you know it's almost like verbal diarrhea as he's like scared out of his mind but like the other two are like not saying anything but they're giving him these little human moments of comfort of personal com- like comforting him as he goes in and i i think those are those are things that i just you know you, you don't notice on when you watch it you just watch it normally or like watch it for the first time but it's like it just adds to the movie in like a very powerful way like i as i was watching them like do these little gestures i'm like oh my god these guys love each other it's so sweet
2: (laughs) yeah i i like that we get those those small moments as well and there's when hooper is is in the cage and um we get that that great line from him you know when he's trying to clean the the goggles and he says you know i've got no (laughs) i've got no spit and it's just i mean it's a it's a callback to some things that we've spoken about about previously there's like I think two or three moments we've always mentioned them in previous episodes when Hooper like takes off his glasses to clean them, and it's we called it like a little Hooperism because it was usually when he sort of needed clarity or was sort of you know about to to give give clarity to the other characters regards to the situation that they were in. So we see him do it. I think in right before he examines Chrissy's body, is that right, MJ? He takes his glasses off and he cleans them. Um, so it's great that we that we get that moment here, and obviously he's, you know, needs <laughs> clarity at, at this point. He's he's taken off off his glasses, and and Brody is holding on to those, but he he needs to be able to sort of see and have a clear a clear mind as well as clear uh, goggles for when he goes when he goes underneath. Um, so it's just a really. I just enjoy that those moments are there, and obviously, like there isn't a ton of of talking in this scene. We've spoken, you know, how it's mostly this sort of montage and set to music, and how it it tells us everything that that we need to. But we get this really great and quite um, subtle and touching moment, like just yeah. as as Hooper goes goes down, and the, and the the thing that is unspoken in this scene, I think particularly in in Brody's face is like this could be the last yeah. conversation I have with him this could be the last time I talk to him and they don't have this like big emotional farewell where they're like oh my god I'm gonna miss you so bad. <laughs> like because you know it's Hooper needs to be focused in this moment yeah. that's you know why he's he's sort of cleaning his glasses and, and trying to get clarity and everything yeah. and he needs to be focused on on the mission at hand but like you don't you don't need those things spoken because you see it all in their faces and and Quint's face is so interesting as well he looks so stern like so serious uh as he's sort of like watching watching him in the cage
1: it's like he's sending out his soldier out to war like that's how you know that's what it felt like when i was seeing that
2: yeah very very that and and brody as well just like real concern it's i mean brody is is a, a father you know first and foremost really and he doesn't sort of have that relationship with hooper but hooper being younger as well and they have bonded i mean they they from the first moment
1: and he brought him to amity like so there's right. got to be some feeling of responsibility there too
2: Mm-hmm. a sense of responsibility a sense of duty as well to sort of yeah. you know protect him and Obviously, he makes that decision to to go into the cage, but Brody gets quite irate about it, as, as we spoke about at the top of this scene. But yeah, so much in his face that tells us everything we need to know. And the fear, I think, a little bit in Hooper's eyes as well. It's, he seems yeah. genuinely pretty nervous about what's about to happen.
1: Yeah, and just going back really quick to, uh, like, the compassion that these characters are showing for each other. I think, again, this is, like, so critical because... If Brody doesn't do that little gesture, then the last interaction he has with Hooper before the end of the movie is him throwing a life jacket at his back and like, mm-hmm. you know, really like yet like them yelling at each other. And if Quint doesn't have that last little gesture with him, well, the last interaction is basically, I mean, they talked a little bit on the boat, but Quint basically again destroying their ways of escaping the shark and like mm-hmm. and it, I think it helps the movie that the, it ends in a more positive manner for these guys. Like their little their
0: relationships with each other, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they must get just as nigh the water as they possibly can without <laughs> falling in, and there they stand, miles of them, leagues, and lenders all. They come from lanes and alleys, streets and avenues, north, east, south, and west. Yet here they all unite. Tell me, does the magnetic virtue of the needles of the compasses of all those ships attract them thither? <laughs> Once more, say you are in the country, in some high land of lakes. Take almost any path you please, Mm -hmm. and ten to one it carries you down in a dale, and leaves you there by a pool in the stream. There is magic in it. Let the most absent-minded of men be plunged in his deepest reveries. Stand that (laughs) man on his legs, set his feet a-going, and he will infallibly lead you to water. If water there be in all that region." Should you ever be athirst in the great American desert, try this experiment. If your caravan happened to be supplied with a metaphysical professor. Yes, as everyone knows, meditation and water are wedded forever. But here is an artist. He desires to paint you the dreamiest, shadiest, quietest, most enchanting bit of romantic landscape in all the Valley of Sacco. What is the chief element he employs? There stand his trees. His trees each with a hollow trunk as if a hermit and a crucifix were within. And here sleeps his meadow and there sleeps his cattle. And up from yonder cottages goes a sleepy smoke deep into distant woodlands winds a mazy way reaching to overlapping spurs of mountains bathed (laughs) in their hillside blue. But though the picture lies thus tranced and though this pine tree shakes down its size like leaves upon this shepherd's head yet, all were vain unless okay. the shepherd's eye were fixed upon the magic stream before him
2: for for quint and hooper i mean it is as well it's just perhaps the the other <laughs> the other way around the way that we the way that we wouldn't expect it to it to go so there is that sort of as I've, I've said in the last few weeks, a lot of these scenes just kind of like just a, a hint of sadness in them. And I don't know if that's just me feeling, projecting my feelings because <laughs> I'm sad about the film coming to an end. But I've never felt as like sad and sick about Quint's death being so soon as I have watching it this way because we're building so slowly <laughs> towards it. And I'm like, we really don't have many like Quint moments left and he's such a great character and like we don't we don't really I mean we see Hooper looking at at Quint but the focus is on Quint looking looking down at Hooper that's what the the focus of the shot is because we're being led to believe that obviously this is you know the last time they they will see Hooper because Hooper isn't going to make it out of this alive but obviously the the flip on that is that yes for Quint this is the last time he will see Hooper but he's the one who doesn't make it and it's like oh that kind of just like gets me in my (laughs) like in my chest this time when I think about that I'm just like just a sad heavy feeling
1: (laughs) and and I wonder how much like well first of all I I'm like for you guys I must feel like you guys like know Quint so intimately now after talking Mm -hmm. about him for like I don't know like 20 some episodes so that's got to because you're, you're getting me all misty-eyed here hearing that. and hearing you talk about <laughs> it. But um, I'm wondering how much, like, when Quint, Quint has that stern look on his face, how much guilt he's feeling. Because they wouldn't be doing this, you know, he wouldn't be going into the shark cage if he hadn't pushed the orca too far. And, like, you know he has a lot of guilt and trauma from his experience on the Indianapolis. And, I mean, I get the impression when I'm watching the scene that Brody is fearful for Hooper but like hopeful but more in like a blind hope like as in he still doesn't know much enough about sharks to know whether or not this is going to work or anything's going to work I feel like Quint Quint. I feel like Quint from the moment that he you know he was on the boot and like very beginning of the scene when he's smirking and saying Hooper here's your life jacket or whatever I think he knows he's going to die but I don't mm-hmm. know if it's hit him until now like that Hooper's gonna yeah he thinks Hooper's gonna die here and like I wonder if he's feeling the guilt from a putting him in this position and b for all the shit he's given him over the last like hour of the movie and like <laughs> so like I, was, I think it's interesting to just like ponder what what's going through Quinn's head in that moment
2: mm, I think as well it's like I mean you, you mentioned Quint's past trauma and I've I've really tried to Particularly this this back half of the film, so everything post-Indianapolis, I've looked at with the lens of it being post-Indianapolis, so you gain a better understanding from wh- what Quint has been through, like why he is the way that he is, and how his trauma has affected him, and how he still carries that with him, and it still affects every part of him, how he interacts with others. I mean, we spoke last week, Quint doesn't pick up a life jacket for himself, because... He associates trauma with life jackets because he said when he was on on the Indianapolis the most scared he felt was when they were waiting to be rescued, and that's why he'll never put on a life jacket again, so it's clear this is something that that has stayed with him, but that look that he's that he's giving Hooper you can sort of also see or you know we can read into into his facial expressions as he's looking at Hooper is like how many other people he looked at in that way yeah. you know like his his buddies when they were in the water waiting to to get picked up uh when they were being rescued or you know just throughout the night when the sharks were circling and that sort of thing like how many people did he sort of like look at like for the last time and he you know sort of projecting those feelings in, into what is happening to Hooper now and, and Hooper going into the water and it's obviously a, a far cry away from what we saw of, of earlier Quint, where he's, you know, you know Cage goes in the water, you go in the water, and he sort of, you know, almost can't believe that it's happening, that, that someone would do that or willingly put themselves in that situation, and, and Hooper has a, a great little smile on his face then in that scene. But here it's like, yeah, I guess this just realisation of like, wow, this is, yeah, this is actually happening. This guy is actually like in, in the cage right now about to, to go down and sort of, be as close to the shark as, as any of us have been and it's bringing back all of those past feelings for for quint and i think that i don't know that just adds an even like sadder <laughs> like more somber uh thing into into this scene and is kind of yeah. already there when you think about it that way when you think about it through the lens of, of indianapolis
0: go visit the prairies in june when for scores on scores of miles you wade knee deep among the tiger lilies What is the one charm wanting? Water. (laughs) There is not a drop of water there. Mm -hmm. Were Niagara but a cataract of sand, would you travel your thousand miles to see it? Why did the poor poet of Tennessee, upon suddenly receiving two handfuls of silver, deliberate whether to buy him a coat, which he sadly needed, or invest his money in a pedestrian trip to Rockaway Beach? Why is almost every robust, healthy boy with a robust, healthy soul in him at some time or other crazy to go to sea? Why, upon your first voyage as a passenger, did you yourself feel such a mystical vibration when first told that you and your ship were now out of sight of land? Why did the old Persians hold the sea holy? Why did the Greeks give it a separate deity and own brother of Jove? Mm -hmm. Surely all this is not without meaning— and still deeper, the meaning of that story of Narcissus, who, because he could not grasp the tormenting, mild image he saw on the fountain, <laughs> plunged into it and was drowned. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. to to double the tragedy,
1: and um, I mean, this is jumping ahead a bit, but like, isn't it suck so bad that Quint dies thinking Hooper died? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> like yeah. I never thought about I not, never thought about that until this very conversation, but. Like, I never thought about how he must be feeling in those three seconds between when he's like, oh, Hooper's dead and then Shark is on the boat. But, like, that's still so tragic. Like, you know.
2: The... Yeah, because, I mean, that adds something to the... Sorry, that has just, like, blown my tiny little mind because where he's putting, like, the oxygen tank on, onto Hooper, it is very like the kind of older army guy, like, yeah. you know, preparing the the younger guy for for war and getting them ready to go into battle and maybe he did go through that in his past as well and and seeing people younger than than him dying in in indianapolis and it's like yeah i (laughs) i think i've thought about that before in the sense of like yeah you know he because they they pull up the cage and and hooper is not in it so as far as quint knows that's that's it and it's like Oh man, I'm gonna <laughs> the episode if we talk about Quint's death, I'm gonna be a wreck. I'm just gonna <laughs> it's just gonna be me sobbing for an hour. <laughs> Cause now I'm thinking about oh. all these things, just like he he holds that with him thinking like, Well, I, I like prepared this young man to go into battle, I put him in the cage, I strapped the oxygen tank to his to his back and, and he hasn't made it and he has to die like with that with that guilt. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Looks like you need 81 episodes. One for you just crying through the entire one
2: morning. <laughs> I mean,
1: yeah. I would, I would, I would listen to that. So
2: I mean, <laughs> just, just me something <laughs> for an hour. <laughs> yeah.
0: But that same image we ourselves see right, in yeah. all rivers and oceans. That is the image of the ungraspable phantom of life. And this is the key to it all. Now, when I say that I am in the habit of going to sea whenever I begin to grow hazy about the eyes and begin to be overconscious of my lungs, I do not mean to have it inferred that I ever go to sea as a passenger. For to go as a passenger, you must needs have a purse, and a purse is but a rag unless you have something in it. Besides, passengers get seasick, grow quarrelsome, don't sleep Mm -hmm. of nights, Mm -hmm. do not enjoy themselves much, as a general saying.
2: I mean, I. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it just great how much stuff there is in this film for us to I, unpack? What a I'm gift. Gonna, <laughs> I'm
1: going to. I say this with the most amount of affection possible. I hate you guys because you guys have made me get choked up and, like, getting chills, <laughs> like, talking about freaking Quint putting his hand on Hooper's shoulder as he's putting mm-hmm. him in a, a cage. Like, that's like. I mean, that's the magic trick here—is how much, like, how, like, how much there is. They like care about in this movie. Like, it's just so well, so well mm. done. So, thanks a lot, guys, for making me feel like crap. <laughs> hey,
2: uh, swap al- here. But also,
1: thanks for having, thanks for having me on again. So, I mean, yeah. that too. Oh yeah, like, of course, of
2: course. Yeah. I did, I did just have. I mean, uh, kind of related. This is we're pivoting back to talking about about Brody in this moment as well but i have only really at this time watching the scene today kind of put two and two together with why he is sort of as hooper is being lowered into the cage why why he is kind of frantically looking around and it was only today that i realized oh he's looking for the shark like at the same time as as hooper is sort of being winched down in into the water and he's got a hand on the cage as well like almost like he doesn't it's not like he's helping it down it's almost like he doesn't want to let he doesn't want to let go of it i mean not to quote titanic but you know it's the like don't let go don't let go Jack. <laughs> <laughs> um we went from having no references to titanic to having too many in the last like 10 or so episodes <laughs> uh was gonna happen at some point but hey,
1: can you imagine if uh Quint's death is Brody holding his hand and saying i'll never let you go or whatever <laughs> and uh... <laughs> And then, as Quid slides down, the music starts playing, and
2: uh, yeah, my heart will go on. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> my heart will I, go on. Yeah.
1: Now I want to watch them. This scene with that, like uh, that, playing over the top of it.
2: Oh man, re-soundtracking Jaws. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I I do really. I mean, spoken a lot about. Uh, sort of quint and and hooper's facial expressions and these last looks i think that's a really good point that that you made mj about the last looks and yeah that spotting that in in what brody is doing as well that he's not just sort of staring down at hooper as quint is i mean quint is kind of like locked eyes on hooper just like watching him until you know the final moment when he goes under but brody is like one eye on on Hooper and making sure he's okay and, like, the other eye on the shark. Like, he's really looking all around that boat trying to see if if the shark is approaching, if, if you know... Uh, while he's got one hand on the shark, like, you know, it, it wouldn't be too late to sort of, like, if he sees the shark, like, to, you know, get that cage out of there and, and save Hooper. But I, I think that's such a great, like, small moment. And you almost don't see it because his face is kind of... It's shot, like, between the bars of the cage as the cage is being lowered down, but it's a, it's a really, really great uh, piece of subtle acting from my boy, Roy Scheider.
1: Yeah, and I think it speaks to, again, like, the difference between Quint and Brody in this moment. I think Quint, like, Quint's not looking around partly because that's in character, but also because I think he's just given up. And Brody, and, like, he, does, he wants, doesn't want Hooper to die or Brody to die, but he, like, he knows what his fate is. But Brody is still... Naive enough, because he has never been in this kind of experience to, like, know, not know what the hell is going to happen. And so he's just frantically looking around and, like, you know, thinking about, like, okay, if it comes, I can get him up now. Or, what, like, you know, he's probably, his mind is probably mm. going rapid fire at that moment. Whereas Quince is like, oh, man, I'm putting I'm putting my boy in danger. And that's all that's in his mind. Because the rest of it, you know, is for him is, like, preordained at that moment.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm
1: one of I forget who said this but like you guys are talking no I think it was you Sarah saying how Brody's looking around frantically I think it's like a huge contrast to the very beginning of this sequence where they're just sitting at the edge of the boat where they could easily get you know the shark could come up and grab either Hooper or Brody at the beginning I just I I just want to bring that up just again like highlighting how defeated both of them seem at the beginning of the scene to mm-hmm. much more you know in action and like working to try to, like, you know, stave off the inevitable towards the end of the scene.
2: Yeah. Look, all you've got to do, if you're in a funk like that, like they are at the start (laughs) of the scene, you just got to take your shirt off and you've got to have a little training montage with your buddies. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) That sounds like it'll work.
2: Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What do you you guys think of the decision to have only Hooper talking at the end? Because I think it's brilliant and is probably the most realistic way this would have gone down. Like, you know, he's talking, like he says, like, I got no spit and try to keep him off of me until I'm lower. Like the, I got no spit is him saying I'm terrified, mm-hmm. but the, I got, try to keep him off me until I get lower is like one of those nothing phrases that like, you know, of course they're not, you know, they're going to try their best, but like, it's one of those, like, he's just like filling the space. Cause he's like scared. And like, I feel like it's, a great decision to have neither Brody nor Quint to say anything. Cause what are they going to say in that moment? Like, mm. Hey buddy, you're going to be okay. <laughs> like, you know, like everything like, ah, yeah, yeah, you got this, you got this, man. Like, this is what you've been working. This is what you've been training for. And like, you know, like what are they going to say? So I think the side, like I've always like, you know, again, someone watching this when I was young, I've always been like, Oh, why are they not talking? But like, it's, I think part of the beauty of the scene that, that they just they just let him sort of like say his piece cause he's scared and you know they don't try
0: to like interrupt or add anything to it. Mm-hmm. No, I never go as a passenger, nor, though I am something of a salt, do I ever go to sea as a Commodore or a captain or a cook. I abandon the glory and distinction of such offices to those who like them. For my part I abominate all honorable, respectable toils, (laughs) trials, and tribulations of every kind whatsoever. It is quite as much as I can do to take care of myself, without taking care of ships, barks, brigs, schooners, and whatnot. And as for going as cook, though I confess there is considerable glory in that, a cook being a sort of officer on ship board, yet, somehow, I never fancied broiling fowls, Though once broiled, judiciously buttered, and judgmatically salted and peppered, there is no one who will speak more respectfully, not to say reverentially, of a broiled fowl than I will. It is out of the idolatrous dotings of the old Egyptians upon broiled ibis and roasted river horse that you can see the mummies of those creatures in their huge bakehouses, the pyramids. No, when I go to sea, I go as a simple sailor right before the mast plumb down into the forecastle, aloft there to the royal masthead. True, they rather order me about some, and make me jump from spar to spar like a grasshopper in a May meadow. Yeah. And at first, this sort of thing is unpleasant enough. It touches one's sense of honor, particularly if you come of an old established family in the land. The Van Rensselaers, or Randolphs, yeah. or Hardicanutes. And more than all, if just previous to putting your hand into the tar pot, you have been lording it as a country schoolmaster, making the tallest boys stand in awe <laughs> of you. And yeah, what a scene.
2: <laughs> pretty pretty good movie. Uh, <laughs> do, you, do you guys have anything else in your, in your notes or anything else that you yeah. wanted to mention?
1: You, you think Hooper, like... After the, he and Bertie like swam to shore Was like oh man that was, that was Terrifying but it really pissed me off When you put your, my glasses in your mouth Like you think he <laughs> ever had that conversation
2: It's like in this Pandemic <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah like what the hell man Like we already weren't socially Distancing or wearing masks on the orca But now you put my, <laughs> my fucking glasses In your mouth <laughs> like, like dude
2: Uh, <laughs> that's very funny.
0: <laughs> the transition is a keen one, I assure you, from a schoolmaster to a sailor. Yeah. And requires a strong yeah. decoction of Seneca <laughs> and the Stoics I guess, to enable you I to grin and bear it. Brody could have
1: broken the tension when neither here or quitter speaking by being like, "Oh, pooper, you taste like you taste like crap." Like <laughs>
2: Yeah, it'd be like salty as well because yeah, it's just been like sprayed uh, with the ocean, so it'd be like, what? Well, yeah. <laughs> gross. <laughs> well, that feels like a fair <laughs> fitting place to end it. Uh, unless you had anything else, MJ. I, my my notes are exhausted for this episode.
0: <laughs> but even this wears off in time. What of it? If some old hunk <laughs> of a sea nope. captain orders me to get a broom <laughs> no and sweep problem. down the decks.
2: Yeah. Like... <laughs> uh well chandri thank you so much for for coming on again it's been really really great to to have you back and uh yeah now you get a chance to to plug anything that you want to plug tell people where they can find you on on twitter and elsewhere
1: i have a blog and a podcast called pointless rewind the blog i write predominantly about the x-files but eventually i'll get back to writing about other pop culture that i've all loved from my past the podcast it, it used to be about movies but then uh I realized that I suck at editing things really quick and my friend needs to like make music for each movie and he 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 didn't want to do it too often. So my, a couple of my friends just settled on making the podcast into a Seinfeld podcast. So we just have one piece of music playing for each episode. And so, uh, we're in the middle of season one. <laughs> my goal is to finish all nine seasons, but we might end at the end of season one. <laughs> so, uh, we'll see how that goes. But, uh, yeah, check it out. Uh, I would give my Twitter handle, but I can never remember how it's spelled. So uh, <laughs> just check me out, check out the blog or the podcast.
2: We'll put it. We'll put it in the notes. Uh. Excellent. Thank you. <laughs> A note to future MJ put it in the <laughs> put it in the show notes. Um, MJ, did you have anything that you would like to plug?
0: What does that indignity amount to, Wade? I mean, in the scales of the New Testament. Do you think the Archangel Gabriel thinks anything less of me because I promptly and respectfully obey that old hunks in, the per- in that particular instance? Who ain't a slave? <laughs> Tell me that. Well, then, however the old sea captains may order me about, however they may thump and punch me about, <laughs> I have the satisfaction of knowing that it is all right. That everybody else is one way or another, served in much the same way, either in a physical or a metaphysical point of view that is uh-huh. and so the universal thumb is passed around and all hands should rub each other's shoulder blades and be content again i always go to sea as a sailor because they make a point of paying me for my trouble whereas they never pay passengers a single penny that i ever heard of on the contrary <laughs> passengers themselves must pay <laughs> and there is all the difference in the world between paying and being paid the act of paying is perhaps the most uncomfortable infliction that the two orchid thieves entailed upon us but being paid what will compare with it
2: good stuff i uh i don't really have anything to to plug i've been <laughs> writing uh, but a lot of things haven't gone up yet so i'll uh, i'll hold off until there's some more content but if people want to find the stuff i write for looper um looper.com forward slash author forward slash sarah buttery um, is where you can find the various things that i have written uh you can look at my best space movies piece and see how many times i talk about spielberg and jaws um <laughs> even <laughs> though jaws is not a space movie you better believe I found a way to reference oh. it somewhere in my... In are, are, my you saying, that's cool. are,
1: are you saying the shot of Brody without his shirt is not from an alien looking out from outer space with a telescope at Brody? I be mean... Like, Ooh, that is a fine <laughs> specimen.
2: Yes, I am. <laughs> oh, I've got to go back. I've got to rewrite it. I need to include <laughs> that now. Uh... <laughs> yeah.
0: The urbane activity with which a man receives money is really marvellous.
2: Uh, What's that? What's
0: that? The urbane activity with which a man receives money is no, really marvellous. Oh, yeah. oh,
2: yeah, I... Uh, when will this... Up? Oh, this episode might go out in time, actually. I don't know. No, it won't. It will have, <laughs> it will
0: have Considering that we so earnestly believe money to be the root of all earthly ills.
2: Oh, okay. Uh, Possibly. It might be available to watch afterwards, um, if it is. If you're listening to this in the future, I will have already uh, spoken at uh, Glasgow Film Festival on a panel about film journalism. Um, If there is a recording of it or a link to watch it back afterwards, then I will absolutely share that. And let's hope I was great and not terrible, as I'm imagining. (laughs) I will be. Uh, We'll see. It's It's just a live podcast. Uh, in front of a crowd uh, is what I'm trying to <laughs> tell myself <laughs> okay uh, yeah you can find us uh, on, on social media on Twitter and Finstagram we are at Jaws for a Minute and if you wanted to follow us individually I am at Sarah Buddery and MJ is at MJSmith891 uh, if you don't use social media and you want to contact us in another way you can email us minute at gmail.com if you head to either our twitter or instagram you can find the link tree in our bio and that's got all of our links uh, to all of our various things that we talk about including our merchandise uh, from Tee Public and redbubble courtesy of uh, alex who is at hex ghosts on twitter uh, so you can buy those on there you can also purchase our theme song uh, which is by at kristen falls music on instagram The link to purchase the theme song is in our Linktree and it's in her uh, Instagram bio as well, the Bandcamp page where you can buy that. Uh, Also in our Linktree you can find the link to our coffee page where for a minimum of £3 or $3 depending where you reside uh, you can buy us some virtual caffeine and in doing so you'll get a shout out on the show and be entered into our draw to win a piece of merchandise, probably a t-shirt. Uh, when we get to our next donation goal so uh, definitely worth doing that Uh, finally please uh, rate review subscribe wherever you find your podcasts tell people about us Uh, really helps us out and helps us to climb up the charts I've not looked to see how we're doing in the Norway charts recently but uh, the breaking news that we made the I think top 20 in in Norway a couple of weeks ago Uh, so thank you to any country who listens to us. What a wild idea that people actually listen to this (laughs) this podcast. I don't think it's wild at all. This
1: is, this is an amazing podcast. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm behind by six episodes, but that's because it's one of those podcasts that when I try to listen to it while like doing something and I get distracted, I feel like I have to rewind over and over and over. So Mm. I have to be listening to it when I have like my pure undivided attention so this is a great job <laughs> great job by both of you guys this is like fantastic thank you for having me on twice and like i've I've absolutely loved both times so yeah just uh incredible and i can't wait till uh let's jaws 2 for a
2: minute <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, all will be revealed uh thank you that is that is very kind of you to say and we <laughs> We appreciate everyone who, who listens. I'm, I'm being silly. It's it's nice to know that that people listen, even though it blows my mind every time to think about uh, that people do listen to this podcast. But uh, yeah, uh, that's uh, that's everything, I think, for this week. So uh, until next time, it's Jaws O'Clock Somewhere.